Well, good morning, First West. Thanks for having me this morning. Um, it is a joy and honor to be here. Many of you I've met, I've, Stephen has had me here for different events over the last year, uh, and um, it's a joy to be here with you all this morning. Um, like Stephen shared, I, I work down at the University of New Mexico, uh, part of an organization called Christian Challenge, formerly known as the Baptist Student Union. So maybe that's what you've heard of the Baptist Student Union. It still exists. That's us. The name changed roughly 13 years ago here in the state of New Mexico, but because stucco is a thing, Baptist Student Union is still on two sides of our building, and it's not ever coming off, okay? So it is a joy to be here. I can't do what I do without churches like this that pray, that come and serve meals to students, that give. My staff, we can't do that without churches like this one. And so I'm really thankful, and it's an honor and a joy to be here with y'all this morning. Um, so tonight, oh, tonight, whoa, I normally teach at nighttime, okay, with college students, okay, bear with me. This morning, okay, I'm normally not teaching at 9.30 in the mornings, okay. This morning, we will be in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 17 through 22, but before we dive into our passage for this morning, I wanted to ask a question. What does it mean to be a Christian? Many of us in this room, maybe we've grown up in church, and so maybe we would claim to be Christians, and you have an answer. You know, words are tricky and funny because words can mean different things to different people. If we were to go out and the city of Albuquerque, or we were to take a poll here, and we were to ask everyone, what does it mean to be a vegetarian? That's a pretty easy one, right? Vegetarian, someone who just doesn't eat meat, right? What if we were to say, what does it mean to be an American? We may get a, a few different answers. Someone who's a citizen, someone who was born here, someone who's really patriotic and flies an American flag. But when it comes to what does it mean to be a Christian, when I'm on campus and I'm talking to people, half the campus claims to be Christians. And when you actually press, hey, what do you mean by that? Most of them don't have an answer. For a lot of people in our culture, especially in a post-Christian culture, when we think of the word Christian, we think, my family's Christian, so I'm a Christian. We think many people in Albuquerque, oh, I was baptized when I was a baby in a church, so that makes me a Christian. Maybe it's my grandma, which I have one of these, is a really good Southern Baptist who prayed for me my whole life. Amen. Yeah. So does that make me a Christian? The word Christian in our culture has been stripped of its meaning. And really what the Bible would actually say, what is a Christian? There's a famous, and, and now he's gone to be with the Lord, American Christian philosopher named Dallas Willard, and he said this. I have a couple quotes of his today, but he said this. It is almost universally conceded today that you can be a Christian without being a disciple. So today we're going to look at a passage about what does it actually mean to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. It means that you're a disciple. And so today's message is a really simple message, one that I talk to students all the time about. 
Because at the root of my ministry on campus is helping students know and follow Jesus. And so, today's just a, a nice laying the foundation of what does it mean to be a disciple. Everything else in our Bibles flows out of, are you a disciple? The rest of these letters here in the back and in the front don't make a lot of sense if you're not a disciple of Jesus. So, today that's what we're talking about, the way of discipleship. Just this last weekend, we had a fall retreat. We take all of our students, as many as they want to go, we took 40 this year, to the East Mountains for a fall retreat. All the Christian challenges from all over the state of New Mexico we gathered, there was over 180 students there. And I came up to one of my students, I will call him Michael, at the end of one of the services, and he was weeping. And so afterwards, we meet up to talk this last week, actually Friday, and I asked him, hey, what was going on? Were you just really moved with that song, just really touching your heart? And as I talked to Michael, I realized that Michael became a believer back in April, his senior year of high school. But from April until fall retreat, he had no idea what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. He understood which we'll talk about here in a second, what it means to repent and to believe and trust. But he actually didn't know what it meant to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus. And so pray for Michael. He's a freshman at UNM, studying music ed. He lives way south of town. Takes the train to Albuquerque every day. Would you pray for him as he really begins to walk with Jesus. So let's read our text for today, the way of discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? We'll see today that to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, it's relational, it's transformational, and it's missional. Like that? That's pretty easy, okay? Work with college students. It's relational, it's transformational, and it's missional. So let's read starting in verse 17 through 22. This is the word of God. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you would speak through your word today, that you call people from all walks of life to come and follow and be your disciple. So I pray that you would bring clarity to us this morning what your word is saying and what it means today, how you are still calling people to follow you. We just pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So, the what, the first point is the message of Jesus. Verse 17 kind of lays the groundwork for Jesus' ministry. At this point in the gospel, if we were to go back and catch up the context of where we find ourselves, the author Matthew has been laying out why Jesus is worthy of 
following. We see the miraculous birth. We see the genealogy. We see the baptism where he is anointed with the Holy Spirit. We see him begin his conquest of the kingdom of darkness, not falling into temptation. And we see he's begun his ministry, and he's begun it saying this, repent. So when we think of famous speeches, maybe there's a few that come to mind. If I was to use the words, I had a dream, most of us would think Martin Luther King Jr. That's an easy one. Or we think of uh, Abraham Lincoln's four score and seven years ago. But when you think about the words of Jesus and what Jesus is famous for, Maybe there's love your neighbor as yourself. Our culture, we love that one. It's a good one. We should love our neighbor. Uh, Maybe you think of the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you think of uh, the Great Commission, which we'll talk about at the end today. But the foundational phrase to all of Jesus' messages and what he came to do was calling people to repentance. Our culture doesn't like that part of Jesus. If our culture had the biggest whiteout ever, and people do this, they will take and and mark out everywhere in our Bibles the word repent, the word sinner, um, the word judgment, the word perish. But the reality is, is that this is Jesus' message. If you were to come all the way through each of the Gospels, He has come calling people to repent. And so what does it mean to repent? That's kind of a dirty word in our culture today. It's kind of a curse word on campus. Yeah, you use that with someone in the wrong way, and they're going to give you a dirty look and walk away. So what does it mean to repent when Jesus says this? Really, the word repent means to turn around, to about face, to make a 180 and go in the completely opposite direction from where you were going. So Jesus is using this word to call people back to God. And for the context of our discussion today, repentance is really Jesus calling people to come back to God. Come, enter into the kingdom of heaven. Come, join the family of God. Enter in. Find rest in God. So this word repent in our culture is seen as dirty because oftentimes we only, we only phrase it one way of repent, you sinner, you've been doing wrong and wicked things. That's only one side of the coin. Repentance isn't just turning from one thing, but it's turning towards something else. That this is what Jesus is calling people to, that sometimes we can forget to talk about when we evangelize. Even in our own hearts, Jesus isn't after us just stop stopping our sin. That is not the goal of the Christian life, is to just stop sinning. It's to be with Jesus. It's to be with God, our Maker and our Lord, who loves us. So, when Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand... That's actually really good, beautiful news. I think for a long time I misunderstood the word repent. I thought it was, again, just, I just need to stop doing bad, I just need to stop doing bad things. If I stop doing bad things, then my parents will be happy with me, and God will be happy with me, and then I'll get the 
job I always wanted, and my life will be blessed. But Jesus' message, which is our message today, is calling people to come back to God. So, Jesus is saying, humble yourself, return to me, come and find rest, come and find life and joy in the one thing where life and joy is found, in God. And so, repenting means experiencing a change of mind that now sees God as true and beautiful and worthy of all our praise and obedience. And so, the lie that the world tells us is that Jesus really is just all about love and acceptance. That Jesus is really here to just help you out whenever you need a helping hand. That Jesus really loves you and accepts you for who you are and is okay with you living however you want. That's just not the Jesus of Scripture. That's not the real Jesus. He wants something so much better for you, better for us than we could ever imagine. I mean, think of John 3, 16 and 17. John 3, 16 is the famous one, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But it goes on. For God sent His Son into the world so that, the world, so that, so that He does not condemn the world, but that, so that the world might be saved through Him. And so Jesus did not come to condemn. He did not come to ruin. He did not come to cause chaos. He came to bring life. And life is found in being with God. Life's not found in stopping and quitting your sin. It's not found in being a better person tomorrow. It's found in being with God. And so he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven at his hand. And this is good news because this is what You look at the Old Testament, that's what people have been waiting for, for thousands of years, is that God would come and establish His kingdom once and for all. That's what we long for, is to be in a kingdom of peace and of love and of hope that's found in Jesus alone. And so the arrival of the kingdom, it calls for a response of repentance. So we would see our need for God. Would we see how we have all rebelled and turned away from God, how in our sin, in our broken hearts, that from all of us we were born rejecting God. And Jesus came with a message of repentance. Come, come back to me. Come and enter into the kingdom. Come and be in my family. This is the message of Jesus. So, Repenting is seeing and knowing and believing that there is nothing better, more beautiful and glorious in all the world than Jesus. So repenting and turning to Jesus is just the beginning of the Christian walk. We could talk so much more about this. We repent to be with Jesus because He is who we need. So point number two is the calling of Jesus. His message is one of repentance come and enter in, and then the calling is to come and just be. The Christian life is relational because we are with God, because our God is a relational God. So let's read uh, 18 through 22 once again. 
And it says this, and while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, being Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So when I was in sixth grade, I was roughly this height. I was a very tall sixth grader. Uh, By the time I graduated high school, all my friends caught up to me. But in sixth grade, that was the height of my basketball career. Literally because I was the tallest person out at recess at my elementary school. And so when we would play basketball on certain days, I was always the first pick, and it was awesome. Has anyone been the first pick before? It feels really good. I haven't been the first pick since it's great, yeah. But out at the recess, uh, the basketball courts at my elementary school, it was so fun. But I was garbage at basketball. My seventh grade year, I learned this when I tried out for my middle school basketball team. Seventh grade, oh yeah. And I got cut day one. I was just not cut to make the team. I was not cut out to make the team. So we see in this story that this is not the way Jesus calls people. He is not calling people to come and follow him because they're Michael Jordan level talent. Jesus has begun his ministry. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's just walking by the sea and he sees these two sets of brothers, ordinary men, most likely very blue-collar, middle-class, clearly busy doing stuff. Like, they had things going on in their life. They hadn't hit rock bottom. And Jesus calls them and says, hey, follow me. Let's go. And so this phrase, follow me, is the command in our passage today. The command that Jesus gave to these four men is to follow me. Come after me. Come and be with me. Come and see how I live. Come and see what I do. Come and experience life with me. And so this was very uh, countercultural for this time in Israel's history. That most teachers or religious leaders, we could use the word rabbi or teacher or scribe, the norm for this time in culture was that these rabbis were pretty special. And many of them that were famous were known by many people. And the disciples would actively seek out which rabbi they wanted to build their life around. My cousin, who's from California, is a phenomenal musician. And when he was looking to go to college, he actually almost went to the university I went to because the university I went to in Texas has a phenomenal jazz music studies program. And one of the best bass instructors in the world was teaching at the university I was at. Now, I was not there for music. But my cousin almost traveled across the country, not because I was there, but because this bass instructor was there. Sadly, he ended up deciding to stay in California and went to another music school in California. But he almost came all the way to my school to study under this particular professor. 
This was the norm back then. But this was not how Jesus did it. Jesus did not sit in some ivory tower and wait for people, the best and the brightest, to come after him. This is not our God. This is not the God of the universe. This is not the way of Jesus, that he called people to come and follow him. That he sought out these men and said, you're mine, let's go. So, follow me, come with me, get behind me, do what I do and learn from me. If we were to go on into the Gospels, deeper into them, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you will see more stories of Jesus calling more disciples to come and follow him. Mark 3.14 says, And he appointed twelve, the twelve apostles, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. So the call of Jesus is a call to be with him. And if we were to look at that group of ragtag apostles that he calls, they're all over the spectrum. you got the tax collector on one end who's a traitor and hated by everyone in the room. You've got the zealot, the rebel, who's over here a part of some secret group plotting to overthrow the Roman government. You've got these four fishermen and everyone else in between. And that's who Jesus called to be his apostles. Seemingly random people. And so Jesus called these people to himself. He gave them a task, and it will be Jesus who trains and equips and empowers them to do the task. So what does it mean to be an apprentice or be a disciple or be a pupil or a follower of Jesus? It means that you're in training. It means that you're learning. It means that you're following Jesus. Dallas Willard, another quote about discipleship, he says, For to be a disciple in any area or relationship is not to be perfect. One can be a very raw and incompetent beginner and still be a disciple. There are many days, even after following Jesus for many years, I still feel raw and incompetent. Anyone else? But this is what it means to be a disciple. This is what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. You don't have to have it all figured out or have it all together. It doesn't mean you have all your questions answered and you know everything. That we see in this story, these men had probably heard about Jesus. They had probably seen Jesus. And they probably had a lot more questions about who Jesus was and where they were going. But when Jesus called them to come and follow, they went. So discipleship is more than just information and knowledge transfer. It was personal. It was relational. If we were to keep reading through the whole Gospels, which you guys I know are going through the Gospel of Mark, as a church, you will see that Jesus walked with these men. He ate with these men. They traveled with him. They literally did life with Jesus. And it was costly. We see here in our passage Immediately in verse 20, they left their nets and followed him. I mean, this was most likely Andrew and Peter's business. This was their, their way of life. We know that Peter was married. And he left his nets to follow Jesus. And the same thing in verse 22, and immediately James and John... 
they left their boat and their father and followed him. That it was costly. They gave up something to follow Jesus. And the reality is, as many of us in this room, are we willing to do that? If Jesus calls us to come and follow, what is it in our life that we're still trying to hold on to? Jesus, I'm going to follow you to the ends of the earth except for this one thing. I'm going to take it with me. Right? It'd be weird if they like, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but I'm going to bring this net with me. And just like as we walk and as we walk through Israel and Jerusalem, I'm just going to keep this net just in case. But I think many of us do this. So what is it in your life that you're still holding on to that you don't want to give up following, to follow Jesus? Maybe there's a dream. Maybe there's a goal. Maybe there's a hope that you have. Because following Jesus is costly, but it's worth it. And many of us, even especially students, when I meet with students, most of the students are busy and worried and consumed with thinking about, who am I going to marry? That's what most students are thinking about. That's what they really care about. For, for, for a good reason. I love being married. When I was a college student, I thought about it a lot. Okay? But... Many college students and many of us in this room get wrapped up thinking about, okay, God, where are you calling me to work or live? Calling me to get married to? What are you calling me to do with my life? When we neglect the first calling that Jesus has given to us, which is a call to be with Him, to walk with Him, to know Him, to be His disciple. So for us today, what does it look like to walk with Jesus, to be with Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus? Just in a more practical level, I know y'all's church and your grow groups are a great place to get plugged into to learn what does it look like to walk and be a disciple of Jesus? Some regular, simple ways to be with Jesus for us today because Jesus is not physically present, but he is with us in spirit. What does your prayer life look like? What does your reading and meditating and memorization of God's Word look like in your life? Are you someone who worships God, which Justin last week talked a lot about worship? Do you worship God with your life and with your thoughts and with your actions? Our walk with Jesus begins with spending time with Jesus, being with God. So are you spending time with Him? Is it a priority in your life to get away in the busyness and the fullness of life to be with God? Is that a priority to you? Because in being with Jesus, which is what it means to be a disciple, to walk with Jesus, to be with Jesus, to trust in Jesus, the thing that is best and most good for us, it is He who changes us. It is He who transforms us. And makes us into what he wants. So point number three, which I actually have four points. I think I forgot to send the fifth or the fourth one. But the point number three is the power of Jesus. That we are changed by him. So discipleship, the way of discipleship with Jesus is relational. And then it's transformational. So we see here in verse 19, and he said to them, follow me. That's the command. 
follow me, be with me, come behind me, and I will make you fishers of men. That it's Jesus doing the work. The only thing that we have been called to do is to be with Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to spend time with Jesus. Jesus doesn't expect you to put your sin to death by yourself. Jesus doesn't expect you tomorrow to just be a better person. Did you know that? When we understand this way of discipleship, the true way of discipleship of Jesus, it is freeing. It should be. The triune God is the one who's doing the work. It's the Spirit of God at work in us, changing us and transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. So we are being made new, whole, good, alive, not by our works, but simply by being with Jesus. That Jesus is the one who will make us into what he wants. Romans 8, 28 through 29 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So Jesus wants to transform our lives into something better. He wants to transform our entire lives and not just 50% of it. And he transforms us from not the outside in, but the inside out. And sometimes that process is painful. Hebrews says God disciplines those he loves. But one is transformed by saying yes again and again and again to Christ's self-giving, poured out, redemptive love. That it's a daily thing being with Jesus. It's a daily thing of repenting and returning to Jesus every day. And so transformation in our culture is something that our culture as a whole understands. I mean, one of the most popular genres in literature right now is self-help books. Because our culture understands that there is something off about us as people. I mean, you go on the college campus, and I'll set up a big whiteboard and sometimes write thought-provoking questions just to engage with students in different ways. And I'll put up what is wrong with the world, and every single person that walks by has a thousand thoughts of what's wrong with the world. Gen Z sees that there is something wrong with the world. But most don't know how to fix it. And most Gen Z, and probably most of us in this room, see that there's something off about us as well. But we don't really know what to do about it. And our culture today is willing to acknowledge it through self-help books. The big one today is if you are trying to be your most authentic self, then you will find the transformation you want. But in being with Jesus, that's where real, true transformation lies. I heard a pastor say, if the problem is with the self, then the self cannot be the solution. Amen? And I love Philippians 1.6. It says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
that it's God who's doing the work. It's God who's doing the transforming. It's the God, our God, who will bring us to completion. So it's not our job to be better. It's not our job to white-knuckle our sin and do better, which I hear that from students all the time. And even from students who grew up, and even us, this is something I struggle with. God, I just need to be better tomorrow. Help me to be better. Now, what God wants is, hey, Jay, how about you just pray, God, help me to be with you tomorrow. Help me to trust in you tomorrow. Help me to return to you every day. And so Jesus is not in the business of endorsing our life and our goals and our visions, but he's in the business of transforming it. So part of discipleship with Jesus is being with him. That's key. That's foundational. That's the first step is have we repented and followed Jesus? Because that's the core of what it means to be a disciple. So, based on your goals and what you want in life, do those line up with what Jesus wants? And that's a good question to pray and discern and think about, not just with God, but with God's people. Is there something that I need to give up, that I need to throw away or change? One of the guys that I'm discipling right now, he's a freshman, and he wants to, he, he's pre-law, and he wants to go to law school. And even in just the few months that I've been meeting with him, he's beginning to think through, I think I am still called to law school, but actually maybe I'm going for a different reason. So where are you at with God right now when it comes to what you desire, what you hope to be? Because maybe Jesus is turning you into something that you would never dream, calling you to something that you would never think that he would call you to. And the fourth and final point, I don't think it's on the screen. I forgot to send it. That's my bad, but I'll just say it a couple times, okay? Is the mission of the disciples. The mission of disciples. So we are called to be with Him. We are transformed by Him. And we are sent by Him. That discipleship with Jesus is relational, it's transformational, it's missional. And so, we see here in the very final part of this verse, verse 19, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men or fishers of people, right? The play on word there is amazing, Jesus. See, Jesus was a pretty funny, he was a clever guy, talking to a bunch of fishermen and using this phrase. He knew what he was doing. And so this is the goal of discipleship, is that we would not only be disciples, but we would be transformed made new, made like Jesus over a lifetime and help others to do the same, to be with, to know, to experience and walk with Jesus. I think oftentimes, and I see this on campus when I meet lots of students and even when my wife and I lived, um, we served as journeymen in East Africa, we would meet people all the time who would consider themselves Christians because they know a lot of information, they're converts. They know a lot of information about Jesus, but Jesus isn't after converts. He's after disciples, and there is a difference there. Of course, becoming a disciple, we could say you converted to following Jesus, 
But that's only step one in a very long walk with Jesus. So to be a follower of Jesus means to know God, to walk with God, to be with God, and to make Him known. Have you guys heard that phrase, to know God and to make Him known? That's the, that's the Christian life. That's the way of discipleship with Jesus, is to know Him and to make Him known, to help others to do the same. So many of us, we are all making disciples whether we realize it or not. What we follow, what we chase after, what we desire, what we spend our time doing, that's what we tell other people about, right? If we are shaped and formed by politics more than anything, then that's the type of disciple that we will make, is one who is shaped and formed and cares more about politics than Jesus. If we are a disciple of some other ideology or... uh, way of being in the world, whether it's a diet, right, or it's a sports team. I grew up in Dallas, but my family was not from Dallas. My dad is from Cleveland. So I was discipled from a young age, specifically 99, to be a Cleveland Browns fan when they came back. And so I grew up my entire life being a die-hard Cleveland Browns fan, and it is painful. (laughs) It's one bad thing and one wrong move and one poor decision after another. But that's what my family, that's what we did on Sunday afternoons. We'd go to church, and we'd go find a place where we could watch it on TV. But we as people, we were called first and foremost to go and make disciples. And we make disciples in whatever we care and we love and we spend our time doing. And in following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus, He is the one who is transforming us to become disciple makers. So not everyone in this room maybe feels confident and really uh, knows what that means. Um, This church I know talks a lot about discipleship. This church as a community is all about helping each other follow Jesus. That's what it means to make disciples, is to help others follow Jesus, help others know Jesus, help others walk with Jesus. And so the final command of Jesus to his disciples before he ascends is a very famous passage, right? He calls the disciples at the beginning of Matthew. He's calling more. He's training them. They're spending time with him three years. They saw him crucified and rise three days later from the grave proving that everything he said and did was true. And he says this at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, to these men who he called to be with him for all these years. And he says in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. In verse 17, And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I love that, that these men, disciples, followers of Jesus, worshipped and still had doubts. That to be a disciple does not mean you don't have doubts, does not mean that you don't have suffering, does not mean you don't have questions. 
And this is what Jesus said to them in verse 18. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so the call of the disciples is to go and make disciples. Be with Jesus and help others to do the same. That's literally the calling for all of our lives. Whether you know it or not, that, was, that is your purpose. If you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a disciple, then you are forming your life around something else and trying to get other people to form their life around it. That we as people, we are shaped and formed by the stories we believe, by the community that we're around, and by the things or the habits that we have, the things that we do. And so, we as God's people should be about being with Jesus, spending time in His Word and praying, gathering with His people to worship and sing to Him on Sundays. But we should also be doing so much more, encouraging one another, praying for one another, having each other over in our homes, walking with one another, checking in on, hey, how's your walk with Jesus been this week? That's a super easy question that any of us can ask anyone else. How's your walk with Jesus this week? How's your discipleship? And then praying for one another when we say, man, this week I struggled. I was tempted to follow and become a disciple of this other thing. Would you pray for me? Help me to trust in this Jesus. So the call is to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize and to teach. And so what I love about this is that the task of making disciples, it's not fashioned to fit the disciples. Again, Jesus chooses his people and he prepares them and trains them. The disciples are defined and formed by the commission. It's Jesus doing the work. It's God who's prepared them for this. And so because we exist as people to know him and make him known, are you doing that? How are you this week spending time with God? I know life is busy. I have two small children, work, have church. How are we as his people spending time and being with God, making that a priority in our life? Because everything else in the Christian life flows out of being with Jesus, resting in the gospel of Jesus, knowing that we cannot save ourselves or fix ourselves no matter how hard we try, but trust in his finished work and his promises. So the way of discipleship is relational, transformational, and it's missional. His mission becomes our mission. The things that he loves becomes the things that we love. Things that he hates become the things that we hate. But that takes a lifetime. That he will bring it to completion. So are you a disciple of Jesus? Do you follow him? 
Do you spend time with Him? Who are you becoming? Are you becoming like Christ? Or are you becoming like someone else? Something else. I wanted to end by reading Colossians chapter 2, because again, everything else in the Bible stems from us knowing God, walking with God. So Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says this. This is Paul's encouragement to this church. Therefore, as you received Jesus Christ, the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in steadfast love and thanksgiving. So where are you at with Jesus? Are you a disciple of Jesus, following Jesus, trusting in His works and His promises? Or do you need to talk to someone this morning about repenting, turning and entering into the kingdom of God, trusting in Jesus' works that He did in His life and on the cross to save you, to redeem you, to ransom you back to Himself? If that's you, please come. Today's the day. Start following and being a disciple of Jesus uh, now. And for those who in the room who are believers, how are you spending time with Jesus this week? What's one thing that you can do this week to spend time with Him? And then how can you help others to do the same? Let's pray.